So good morning. It's great to be with you guys this morning. Um, if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, uh, my name is Jay. And I get a, a chance to help lead this community, and I'm very grateful to do that. I was away last week uh, doing some celebrating with some family out in Reading, Pennsylvania. So uh, I was away. I missed you guys. I'm glad to be, uh, to be back and to see you again. Um, if you were here last week, Matthew did a great job continuing our series in Galatians and looking at the concept of freedom and, and the fact that God uh, wants for us to be free people. And uh, oftentimes as Americans, we think of that as kind of the freedom from restriction, the freedom to do anything that we want. And uh, I just love the way that God used him last week to say, no, freedom is actually to become who God intended you to be. It's to go along the track of how God planned your life to go. Uh, that's the most free thing for us to do. So I was grateful for that message. Happy Father's Day, by the way. Um, thanks. I'm really just fishing for it to come back to me, so that's the only reason I say it. Oh, thanks so much, Tim. It's really kind of you to say that completely unprompted. <laughs> um, glad to be with you this morning. We are, uh, we're going to continue our teaching series through the the book of Galatians this morning. We're going to be in chapter 5, verses 16 to 25. If you didn't bring a Bible with us, you can either turn it on on your phone or you can look on the Bibles that we have on page uh, 813. Uh, we're going to get to the dedications after uh, the message and, and a little bit of singing. Uh, but first, I, I, last week it, we, we talked about the, kind of the big idea of the series, which is the, the concept of freedom. The question that Paul starts to transition to today, the one that we're going to look at this morning is, how do you actually attain it? How do you grow, in another, is another way to put it. How do, you, how do you become the thing that God intends for you to be? Whether that's uh, a, a man or a woman, a husband, a father, a mother, a wife, uh, a worker, whatever the case might be, how do you become... The, the version of that that God intends for you, that he planned for you, the, the one that he dreams about when he looks at your life and he sees you growing to your fullest. How do you attain it? Maybe a more uh, a negative way to put that, the, the opposite side of that would be uh, if you're struggling with becoming that, maybe you're str- struggling with sin or, or to, to get past some things that have been Uh, just immovable objects in your life, maybe for years, maybe decades. How do you grow beyond those things? How do you put sin to death? There are two sides of the same coin, right? We need to know how to do that. And the answer that we're going to hear, which is the answer to all of those questions and more, is that in order to realize those things, in order to grow, in order to change we actually need someone else to do it. Now, I'm not talking about it like a victim mentality. It's all on other people, and, and, and what they do to me is what makes the difference. That's not what I'm talking about. The, the person that I'm talking about, the one that you need to, to realize that change in you is actually Jesus himself. And maybe you've never heard that message before. Maybe for you, Christianity has just been about uh, not coming to faith and, and then maybe asking Jesus to come in and forgive you and to come into your heart. And, and that's kind of where it ended. You prayed a prayer decades ago, and you think that you're, you're saved from hell, but really there's no relationship, there's no growth, there's no fruit. See, in order for us to actually change, 
We need Jesus to come in and do it. And the way Jesus does it is actually by sending His Spirit to be inside of us. And what He says is our advocate, which is really His representative. So it's the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who comes into our hearts to guide us and to convict us of areas that need to change and to speak to us over and over and over again of God's love and to change us to look more like Jesus. It's Him doing it through us. And Paul's going to talk about what it means to walk by the Spirit. He's going to use that term. Walk by the Spirit. Which means that Jesus comes in through faith and lives His life out through us. And the irony is that Paul is combating a group of people that are saying, yeah, change is important. It's important to grow. It's important to change. It's important to get over sin. It's, it's, you know, we, we want to grow into the likeness of God. But the way that they're talking about doing it is through rules and regulations. It's literally through God prompting you from the outside, telling you what you need to do. And Paul's going, you'll never change that way. In fact, there, there's a whole history of God actually demonstrating to us through the story of His Word that that actually never works. Maybe that's been your experience. You've heard rules. You've heard things that you should or should not do. Maybe your experience in the church growing up has been one where people just told you all the things that you can and cannot do. And you thought, okay, if I'm on the good list and I do these things and I stay away from the bad list and I do these things, then it will result in me growing. And you, here's the truth. You could do that for decades and never experience the fruit of the Spirit that Paul's going to talk about today. It's got to happen on the inside. In fact, there's a great part in God's story in Numbers 11. I was actually reading it this week where a couple people come to Moses. They're all out in the wilderness, if you know the story. And um, God is guiding them primarily from the outside. He's given them ten regulations and rules and says, this is what it means to, to walk in my ways. And so he, he's guiding this community, and, but he's only speaking to one individual, and that individual's name is Moses. And then all of a sudden, one day, two guys who are in the camp, it says that they start to become full of what? The Spirit. And what it means is that God actually starts to speak to them. And then they go out and they start telling people what they heard from God. And one of Moses' most trusted allies named Joshua, comes to him and he says this in verse 28, who had been with Moses from his youth, spoke up and said, Moses, my Lord, stop them. Isn't that interesting? And Moses replied, are you jealous for my sake? Are you jealous? Do you think I want to be the only one that God speaks to in our nation? He goes, I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put His Spirit on all of them. And that's, that's the point. Moses is being a prophet himself and saying, this is God's plan. Not just that God speak to me and then you all come to me to hear it, but that He would speak to you. And He would keep speaking to you. And I would love it if God would just come and he'd pour out his spirit on all people so they'd all have this direct relationship with him that they would hear from him over and over and over again. And guess what, church? It's true. We live in that day. This very day. You don't need to come here and, and listen to me to hear from God. I know that's somewhat difficult for me to say because I like when people come here 
And I like when our family get, gets together. And I, and I love hearing from the Lord. And I love communicating what He says to me. But, but please hear this. He wants to talk to you. He wants to speak to you. He wants to lead you and guide you. Family, we're living in that day. The relationship with God doesn't just mean that we get His forgiveness and now it's all up to us. Jesus said, no, I will never abandon you, which means I will actually continue to walk alongside you in such a way that you'll know that I'm there. You, you won't just get my forgiveness. You'll get me, myself, with you all the time. Active, present, alive, speaking, working as I change you moment by moment, day by day, year by year, decade by decade. Is that good news to you? That should be incredibly good news, especially if you've been around the church for decades and you just thought it was about following all the rules or, or coming to hear someone else listen to God and then give you all of it for secondhand. He wants to give it to you firsthand. So I, as I've been praying this week, I think I'm convinced and convicted that there is no other message, there is no other skill, there is no other thing that is more important for us generally as God's people to grasp other than the very gospel itself than to know how to walk by the Spirit. There is nothing more important, family, than that. In fact, if that, if that were to be the clarion call of my entire ministry, if I could say at the end of my life, I was used by God to help people walk by the Spirit. I, I would hope that, that in that I'd be able to rest and go, I, I did what I could. My prayer this week has, has been, God, let your people now live by the Spirit that you've given them. So how do we do that? Well, let's look at Galatians 5 and see what Paul says about it. He says this, So I say to you, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. You hear that? The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. So Paul starts out and he says, if you want to grow, if you want to change, if you want to see real, measurable, inevitable, long-term change into the image of who Jesus is, which is God's plan for you from the very beginning, then you need to learn how to walk by the Spirit. You might think, okay, that sounds great. Easy, right? No problems. I got it. End of message. But there's a problem. We're not just uh, people that can do this all the time without struggle. Because even though 
If you're in Christ, you've been given the Holy Spirit, you still have something called a sinful nature. And that nature is the old you. It's the part of you that lived in opposition to God before coming to faith in Jesus. It was the place where you were on the throne and you, you, in a sense, when you thought about a relationship with God, you wanted Him to serve you. So, I mean, even you might have prayed for year after year, decade after decade, and, and your prayers just were all the things that you wanted God as your personal assistant to grant you as the Lord. See, it's, it's the part of us that is in opposition to what God actually wants for us. And, and that part of us, even when we've come to faith in Jesus, is still actively working against what God wants for you, even this morning. See, Romans 8.8 8 says, though, that in our flesh it's impossible to please God. It's impossible. If you want to grow, if you want to change, and you're going to go by it, with your own effort and your own strength, good luck. It's not going to go very well for you because here's what Paul says. This This is the result of it. I mean, look at the list. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery. I mean, we just read all through all these things. Discord, jealousy, rage, selfish ambition, factions, envy and drunkenness. And then he says, and the like. So it's like, This is just the beginning of a scroll that's going to go right out the door and out into the street. It keeps going. He says, I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And just so we're clear on that, what he's not saying is they will go to hell when they die. It's not saying that those people that that are breaking up people and causing dissensions are necessarily going to go to hell just because they've done those things. What he's saying is, if you're living out of that kind of activity, you'll never experience what God wants for you, which is His active moment-by-moment presence. You won't inherit His kingdom. You won't experience His presence. You won't taste His intimacy. But this is the nature that we're born into. And the truth is, any area of your life where you're experiencing things on this list, any area in your family, in your home life, in your job life, any area that you see division and anger and jealousy and selfish ambition or lust or anything else that's on that list, it is evidence that you're trying to do those things in the power of the flesh. You're living under yourself as Lord. It's not Jesus' kingdom you're experiencing. You might think, well... All right, but what if I'm only experiencing like a couple things on the list? Right? I'm not doing most of the things, so I must be okay. I think that there's a warning that I'd love to give you because one, one thing on the list leads to the rest. So please don't be naive to think that you can compartmentalize your life and just dabble in one area and not see the fruit happen in all the, in all the others. I've seen it over and over and over again. People go... They, they say something along the lines of, well, it was only this. And then it was only that. And then year after year it continued on and it only led to the end of their marriage. And it only led to their kids hating them. See, we, we often do that if only type stuff. But at the same time, I want to say on this, the, the positive side of this Please don't be so complacent with your own growth. I mean, don't, 
Don't live your life trying to check off the minimum box of what you could possibly do. That is not what Paul talks about when he says this is our life in Christ. He says to the Colossian church, I labor to present everyone perfect in Christ. In other words, I I want Jesus to have his full way with his church. I want Jesus' spirit to be absolutely everywhere. I want all of us to be in submission to him. Because as we do that, not only do we experience the king, but then the world experiences our king through us. And they can taste and see through us who have that personal relationship with him that the Lord is good. And they go, man, there's something different and unique about that group of people. What is it? And our answer over and over and over again should be, it is God in us. It is him that's doing it. See, he wants absolutely no area to, to go without feeling the effects of his resurrection power coming and changing it the way he intended it. And the question I would have for you is, do you want that for yourself, family? Do you want that for yourself? Do you want that for others? Do you love them enough? Do you love your, your spouse enough? Your kids enough? You, your, just the people that you're sitting next to this morning enough to want that for them? See, if so, then that should lead us to want to do this. To want to know that we are actually not just people that are of the flesh, but we are people of the Spirit. And that's the second nature that we've been given. We have two natures, flesh and spirit. And Paul goes on and he says, this is the fruit of what God produces in you when you are led by him, when he is on the throne of your life. This is the result of it. He says, and and this is fruit. It, It grows naturally, right? It's what he produces in you. Love. Which is like a a self-abandonment for the good of others regardless of what they give to you. Do you see that in your heart? Are you seeing that today? Joy. Which isn't just like this pithy happiness, but it is a delight in God's goodness. Peace, which is a rest in His wisdom and His control. It's taking the hands off of the control switch of your life and going, God, I trust you with it. Forbearance, which is bearing with other people without resenting them for doing it. Do you see that in your own heart? Kindness, which is to serve others in such a way that it makes you vulnerable. Goodness, is being the same person in absolutely every situation. Faithfulness, which is being utterly reliable and true to your word every single time. Gentleness, which is a humility... It's placing yourself under people and not seeing them as lowlier than you. And self-control, not being controlled by the fickle nature of your flesh. Paul says, against these things there is no law. And and the question I would ask all of us, the question I would ask you is, do you see these things flowing out of your heart in increasingly increasing measure over time? One of the ways I, I think that you can know that it's happening is how your heart responds when when there's tragedy. And uh, there's just been a ton of it, right? This week, last weekend, it's just been incredible. Just the amount of pain and things that, that we've had to bear as a nation. And one of the things that uh, I, you know, getting, being a little bit cynical and, and myself, 
I can look at the reaction of people and, and, and then get angry over people's injustice in their reaction. So when 49 people are murdered in a nightclub and you have people in the church shaming those people for being there in the first place, there's something that rises up in my spirit and goes, this is not right. They're made in the image of God. He loves them and he gladly died for them. How in the world can you respond that way? As a church, we, we should re- see the fruit of the Spirit in our response, right? Same thing with the parents who had to endure watching their toddler son get snatched away while they're on vacation. And then hearing the responding criticism over their parents that they shouldn't have been in the water in the first place. As a dad, I, just, I get so angry at that stuff. And I think, how dare you? But here's the thing I want to impress upon you. What was your reaction? See, the way that you react to tragedy is actually one of the greatest tests that you're growing in the Spirit. And so when you, you receive the news of this thing, is your natural inclination when it happens to want to love people in the midst of their brokenness? Is it to want to bear with those who need to bear more than they can bear? Is it to bring peace where there's division? And, and even in the midst of pe- people saying hard things, are you wanting to bring reconciliation rather than more contention? Are you bringing kindness and goodness to bear? Are you gentle and humble with people? See, we can, we can look around us and go, Man, I wish the world had more of the fruit of the Spirit. But please hear me, that's not the point. The point is for us to be people that grow in the Spirit, to bring what the Spirit wants to bring to broken situations. And the way that you know that the Spirit is doing this is because you, you see Him bearing this fruit in you in these ways. See, and here's the, the thing with this. You... Now, if, if you're in Christ, you have two natures. You have the flesh and you have the Spirit. And part of the evidence that you are now a child of God is that you actually want to obey Him. You actually want to be used by Him. You want to follow Jesus. You want to look like Him. You want to hear from Him. You want others to know Him. That's the new creation that's bursting out of the old. And the question I would ask you is, is that happening? Even while you're struggling? Yes, it is a struggle. But we should want the struggle. We should, we should see the struggle happening. I remember I was talking to someone who was somewhat new in their faith, and they, they were saying to me, I just don't get it. It feels like after I've come to faith in Christ, things seem to get harder rather than easier. Like all of a sudden now I have all these struggles and I want to follow Jesus, but it seems like every time I do and I take a step forward, it's one step forward and one giant step back. They're going, what's going on? And what I said to them is that's how you actually know that you belong to Him. See, if you didn't have a struggle, if it wasn't hard, then that means the only nature that you have at work inside you is the old sinful flesh. That's all that's there, and there's no struggle. You just go with where it tells you to go. See, the reason that you struggle, if you struggle, is because the Spirit is teaching you how to put the old you to death. 
That's the work he's trying to do. I love the way that verse 17 puts it. It says, for the flesh desires what's contrary to the spirit and the spirit what's contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other so that you do not do whatever you want. Is that battle happening in you? Some of us would say that battle is happening in me. And I've tried to wage the battle, but I'm not getting anywhere. I've tried really, really hard. I just I want to encourage you. The battle is not between you deciding and doing what is good or what is bad. The battle is between you deciding what to do things in your own strength or to do things in His. That is the battle. Because many of us would say, I've tried this really hard. I've tried giving up on pornography. I've tried not being so angry. I've tried defeating alcoholism. I've tried to gossip less. I've tried to be less bitter. And I've tried and I've tried and I've tried and I've gotten nowhere. And the question I would ask you is, in whose strength did you try? Whose strength was it? Was it yours? Or was it his? It's a great spot in, in Numbers, I think it's in chapter 12, where, where God says, you know, the report comes back with the spies and they're about to take the land and uh, the ten spies come back and go, no, no, it's too hard. There's giants in the land. We can't go in. And there's two that say, no, God is with us and he's for us. And of course, the people, they rely on the testimony of the ten and they say, we're not going. And so God gives them a... Uh, 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 punishment, a discipline in response and says, okay, if you're not willing to go in, I'll take your children in and you will die out here in the desert rather than see what I'm about to do with them. I'm going to raise up the least of you to do what you think I can't do. And it's funny because their next reaction isn't to lament. It's not to like go, oh man, we should have known better. It's not to go back to God and go, God, take us back. Their first response is to go, all right, well, if God's not going to take us there, we'll do it ourselves. And they, they get all the men together and they rise up and they try to take the first town. And what happens? They get totally beat down. I mean, it's like the biggest smackdown you've ever seen. They're chasing them into the wilderness because they have absolutely no power. And God's going, if you didn't believe that I could do it, why do you think you can do it? And so many of us have lived out our Christian life that way, going, I think I can do it. I think I can do it. If I just try hard enough, and if I'm just smart enough, you can't. It's the whole reason you needed Jesus in the first place. You were not good enough. That's why He went to the cross on your behalf. We have no ability to change ourselves apart from God doing it in us. So how do we do it then? How do we relinquish control? How do we walk by the Spirit? Romans 8, verse 5 and 6 say this. This is Paul again speaking to a different church. He says, Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. What is he saying there? He's saying, do you want to know how to grow in your ability to be led by the Spirit? You need to set your mind on Him. And just so you know, mind isn't just like your intellectual capacity. 
Your mind is the center of who you are. It's the, it's the place where you, you spend your time thinking about. It's what you long for. It's what you're putting your hope on. It's the desires of your heart. It's what you're depending on moment by moment. And the question he's asking is, are you, are you putting it on you and your abilities, which is hostile to God, remember? Or are you putting it on Jesus and his ability to come in and change you? Are you putting it on what you need to do? Or are you, you thinking and meditating and spending time thinking about what he has done for you and what he is doing for you and how he does want to work through you? See, that's the question. It's a moment-by-moment, day-by-day struggle. Am I setting my mind on the flesh or am I setting my mind on the Spirit and what He wants for me? And the only way that you can grow in your ability to do this is by cultivating a relationship with Him. You actually have to allow yourself to have the space to do it. And here's the promise. He will do it. I don't know if you know this about apple trees. If they're healthy, they inevitably produce apples. Every time. If you go to an orchard and you say, Hey, farmer, what did you do to, to, to make the apples grow? he say, I planted the tree. The tree did the work. It, that's just what happens. The, the seed grew up into a tree. The tree produced the fruit. This is what happens naturally when we set our mind on the Spirit. We receive life and peace. But you go your own way and you try your own thing. And what happens? So I would go so far as to saying, if He's not actively convicting you, actively at work in you, showing you areas of needed change and helping you to see that change realized, there are only three options. The first one is that you don't belong to Him yet. And I would just say, if that's the case, rectify that today. Come to Him today. Just bury your soul to Him today and say, I've been trying to do this thing on my own for too long. I've been trying to make up for, for my lack. I've been trying to earn my forgiveness in my place before you, and I can't do it anymore. God, I need you to come and forgive me. And the good news is that Jesus has done it already. He doesn't want to withhold his grace from you. He just wants you to receive it. He's opposed to the proud. He's opposed to those who think that they can do it themselves, but he gives grace to the humble. And that's such good news to me because I know that the moment that you're humble, boom, you get the grace of God. He's on your team. The moment you go, I can't do it, is the moment he goes, I can, watch. And he comes in. Do you belong to him? If you do belong to him and you're still not seeing it, then you're probably not giving him enough space to be able to do this in your heart and your life. I've found that the Spirit typically is a still, small voice that is easily drowned out by the things of this world. It is easily drowned out by the things in my own heart, my, my own desires and my own passions and my own thought processes. And I get on a, a process where I'm just thinking in the same direction over and over and over again. And then I get months down the road and I go, why haven't I heard from the Spirit? Why hasn't it God like changed direction? It's because I've been so committed to my direction that I haven't allowed Him to speak and change it. 
See, if, if we're not actively giving him space to speak, then we won't hear what he has to say. So that, that may be part of it as well. But there might be a third option. The third option might be that you're not in community with others close enough who can be used by the Spirit to point out areas where you need to change. One of the things I've found is that the Spirit loves to speak in community. He uses His people to help His people to grow and to change. He loves to do it. In fact, I, I just experienced this a couple weeks ago. This person in, in, in my, my community brought something to my attention I had never seen before. I'd never seen it before. And she said, you know what? Like, when, when this certain person is around, you seem to change a little bit when they're there or when they're not. Why is that? And it, it, it's funny because with them asking it, it was a totally innocent question like, like she was like chalking up to like maybe it's all these external things. And, and I thought, I don't change when certain people are around. And then later on, I started to think about that very same thing. And the more I thought about it, the more I was like, huh, maybe there's something to that. And then the next time I was with that person, the whole time I was just asking myself, okay, Spirit, show me if, I'm, if my heart is doing something. Am I looking for their approval? Do I, I, do I need their respect in order to feel like I'm okay? Like, what, what's happening there? I would never have seen it if it weren't for a community that's able to show it to me. And you need that same thing too because we all have blind spots, family. You are not an autonomous island unto yourself. And, and as much as we like to tell ourselves this in America, our relationship with God is not just a me and Jesus endeavor. It is a we and Jesus endeavor. We need each other. So I want to just share, just in a, in a couple brief moments, the time that I have left, what I've found that the Spirit does as I set my mind on Him. So as I give a, a little bit of space for Him to speak, this is often what he does in response. And so if you're going to take notes on anything, this might be something to take notes on and just to, to check me on later and see if he doesn't do this same kind of pattern for you as you give him the space to speak to you. There are five things I think that the Spirit does in helping us to change and bear fruit. The first one is that the Spirit will come and convict you of either sin or things to be obedient in. So there's the negative and the positive. Either things that needed to be rooted up from our hearts and, and, and pulled out by the roots, or things that need to be planted in. You think of it as a gardening metaphor. Um, but this is what he says in verse 17. For the flesh desires, that's the key word, what's contrary to the spirit, and the spirit, same word, what is contrary to the flesh? They're governed by the same verb there, which is the word desire. The Spirit actually desires things for you. I don't know if you realize that. Which means if you're living primarily in the flesh and you have the Spirit, then the Spirit will actually impress upon you areas where He wants something contrary to the flesh that you're living in. And it's, it's, here's the thing you need to hear. It's never to condemn you. Oftentimes we think of God as, especially if you don't know Jesus Christ, as a condemning God who comes in just to tell you what you're doing wrong. That is not our Heavenly Father. If you hear that voice, 
It is not his voice. Jesus says, my sheep know my voice. It is a gentle voice. It's a comforting voice, but it's often a convicting voice that comes in and says, this needs to change. But he does so with with gentleness and love and care because he wants your best. He does not want to destroy you. It's to free you. It's to set you free from slavery. Myself, um, just to give you an example of this, I found... Several years ago, uh, after I started pastoring uh, this community, and a uh, year or two after we had, uh, would, had planted, uh, that I started to see a pattern in my own heart of, of beginning to avoid conflict, Be- beginning to avoid things that I perceived to either be difficult situations or difficult people. And at first, I disregarded uh, it, but... The more that it actually began to occur, the more I got a sense that it was something that God wanted to change in me. Every time there was a situation it was difficult to handle, I would find myself running away from it or trying to protect myself from it. Or even if I went into it, I I would try to help in, in the situation that I felt was difficult or where there's conflict, and then I would check out for a, a week afterwards to try to make up for the fact that I did something that I thought was really hard. And I just saw this pattern in my own heart, in my own leadership over time, and, and maybe many of you would say, yeah, I saw it too, and that's okay. But there was a pattern, and th- this, is, this is often what happens. He comes in and he convicts, and, and he brings ongoing attention to a particular area. He starts to put his finger on something, and every time it happens, he seems to push the finger a little bit more. And, and you know it's him doing it because all of a sudden you start to get ample opportunities to experience the need for change in that area, right? So if, if he's trying to get you to love and serve people above yourself, all of a sudden he brings all these people into your life that need your love. You're like, what's going on here? <laughs> or if he's trying to grow you in patience, all of a sudden you have ample opportunities to need patience. And suddenly it seems like you're... Your, your life is just frustrated in all these ways. You go, I can't go anywhere. I feel hemmed in on every side. What's going on? Maybe he's convicting you. Same thing with self-control. And you go, I, I, all of a sudden, the, the temptations are everywhere. And I feel like I need self-control, but I don't have self-control. But all of a sudden, I'm tempted in all these ways. Whatever it could be, he, he's starting to convict you. And I hope that's happened to you. But he doesn't just leave it there. Because here's the thing. It's not just about your, your actions. It's about your heart. And so the next thing that I've experienced the Spirit often doing is that he will reveal the part of your flesh that needs to die. The, the, so not just here's what I'm doing wrong, but here's why I'm motivated to do what I'm doing. Galatians uh, 5.24 says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified their flesh with its what? Its passions and its desires. See, the Spirit wants us to see areas of our heart that aren't just doing bad things, but they're falsely desiring things above Jesus. And so crucifying our flesh doesn't mean just behavior modification. It's actually about strangling our sin at the motivational level. It's about getting underneath to the root system so that He can rip it out. So that we can go from false worship to true worship. 
So we should ask ourselves, when, when we're starting to get convicted over some of those areas, and I think that the Spirit helps in this, if it's an area of jealousy or hatred or, or lust, the question, why am I after these things? What, am, what is my heart searching for that I feel like it will find as I do these things? Is the reason I gossip because I want people to think well of me? Is the reason I'm jealous because I'm envious of what God has given them and I don't trust that God has given me good things? Am I lusting after things because I believe that I need someone to desire me and I want the desire of what comes through my screen rather than the desire of Jesus Himself? See, the reason that I was avoiding conflict, I became aware of, was because I was ultimately afraid of what people would think of me if there was conflict. Our church was born out of a season of intense conflict. And that conflict reflected poorly on the previous leaders of our previous church. And so I thought as a leader, the best thing I could possibly do was to, to not have conflict. Just avoid it. Just get rid of it. And, and so I started to think that's the measure of good leadership. And really what it was about is that I was trying to protect my reputation. I wanted think, people to think really, really well of me. And at the same time, I was saying that, that even though I was saying that I loved other people, and, and by avoiding it, I was trying to keep things from blowing up, I was really just making things worse. I was loving myself more than I was loving other people. I would never say it that way. But ultimately what happened is the Spirit came and says, you need to have a spotless reputation. And that need for a spotless reputation needs to die. Your desire to find life apart from the peace that I give you, that needs to go as well. And I'm going to pull it out of you if you're not willing to give it up. He's coming and saying, are you willing to put those old parts of the old J to death? Are you willing? See, and that's what the Spirit will do. He'll, he'll reveal the internal motivations of your heart so that you don't just try to stop doing what you're doing, but with His help, you'll actually put the sin of unbelief to death. And the reason that you'll, you'll want to change, the reason that you'll want to put that part of you to death is not because you're afraid of punishment. It's not because you want people to like you better. It's not exchanging one sin for another. It's because you realize that your unbelief actually grieves the heart of God Himself. Ultimately, that's how you know it's the Spirit. Is not when you look around and you go, wow, what I did caused brokenness for them, but what I did caused brokenness for Him. And you actually start to experience the ways in which we've grieved God's heart. That's a powerful motivation for change, family. And that's the one that the Spirit brings to mind for us when He's actually doing the work. See, if it's not Him, then you'll try to change in order to lessen the consequences for your actions. It'll just be about avoiding the the punishment. You'll think... I I need to be a person of more peace because the conflict in my family is too great and I just want everybody to get along. That's not the Spirit's 
reason for change. The reason he wants you to change is ultimately because it's hurting your relationship with him. And he wants to do away with it. But he doesn't leave you there. And I love that about the Spirit because the Spirit doesn't come in and just say all these bad things to you that need to go. He actually starts to speak great things over you that aren't yet true. The Spirit comes and He magnifies Jesus to you. That's one of His roles. He comes and He reveals the good news of the Gospel for that particular area that He wants to change. And this is the good news of the Gospel, right? It's not just that Jesus comes and says, hey, lay down your life and then that'll be it. No, He says, come and lay down your life because in laying down your life, you find what? You find life. You get life when you give up yours. John 16, verse 14 and 15, Jesus says this, The Spirit will glorify Me because it's from Me that He'll receive what He makes known to you. And and that word glory means to make something infinitely bigger and weightier. And He's saying the Spirit will come and He'll replace the attractiveness of your earthly desires with the attractiveness of Himself. So whatever, if it's, if it's lust and you're, you're thinking, I need, I need someone, something to desire me, to think that I'm pleasing, to think that I'm attractive, to think that I'm lovely, then what you'll start to hear is Him saying over you, I think you're lovely. I think you're, you're wonderful. I, I, I love you so much. Even as you're doing those things, I still can't stop loving you. And you start to experience His love begin to wash over you. And here's what ultimately happens. You look at what He gives you, you look at what you give you, and you go, that's way better. Why in the world would I want to continue to dabble in this when I could have Him and His grace and His love and His mercy moment by moment? He makes Himself look so big to you. Is that happening for you? That's what the Spirit does. One of the things that was happening for me as I started to reflect on this need for change in my own heart was the Spirit started to remind me of the spotless reputation of Jesus on my behalf. He started to go, why in the world would you need to earn for yourself a great reputation when I've already given you one? You have Jesus' reputation. You have what He's done for you. He's my spotless, perfect Lamb. Who in the world cares what other people think of you? In me, you're loved and perfect. And over and over again, I needed to receive that again and again. And he called me to to my remembrance to how Jesus didn't just avoid me. He didn't avoid when, when there was conflict between me and him. He didn't just say, well, I'll deal with it later. No, he came in and he took the brokenness of my sin on himself. He loved me more than he loved himself. And that's the Spirit's job. He comes in and does that. And the more you understand the greatness of God's love, the more you comprehend his unconditional grace for you, the more you want to begin to change for him. The more you understand that love, the less the world and its desires has to offer you. You're becoming more free. And then he leads you in repentance and faith. You start to see him as bigger and you go, why in the world would I want that when I can have you? And that, that is repentance. That is coming to him and saying, I need you, Jesus. And then last, 
The Spirit empowers you to ongoing change. He will empower you to continue to see change in your heart, change in your life. Wouldn't you love it if you could be at the point in your walk with the Spirit that you naturally, every moment, did everything you knew you would do if He were the one leading you? Wouldn't that be a great life to live? If you just, you knew that out of, just out of the natural overflow of your heart, that was going to happen every moment. Every time you were called to love, you love. Every time you need to be humble, boom, you're humble. When you need patience, you got it in abundance. When you need self-control, you're saying no to everything so that you can say yes to Him. Wouldn't you love for that to be true all the time, every day? See, one day it will be true. One day we will stand before him face to face and he will make it true. But here's the good news for us, family. We haven't just been given a spirit that will come to us one day. We've been given that spirit today. Which means I want to encourage you, you can experience tastes of this today. With my own story, God had recently, talking about trials and, and things, he, he recently gave me several opportunities to trust that he's good in the midst of hard circumstances. To bring about conflict. And I just want to tell you, three years ago, I would have ran. Or have been tempted to at least, or to avoid, or to minimize, or to go the other way. And yeah, I've, I just, Mandy actually was the one that said it to me. She goes, we were looking over this last night, and she goes, and she knew that, you know, some of the weeks that I've had leading up until now, she goes, You've really changed in that area. You really, when there's hard stuff, you really press into it. Not all the time, not perfectly, but I've seen measurable, inevitable growth in you in that area. And it just stopped us to actually pause and go, thank you, God, that you've done that work. It wasn't me. And it isn't me. And it's, it won't be you either, which is the great part about it. He does the work. And then you see the change and you go, God, thank you so much for doing it. I just want to encourage you as we end. The reason that Jesus died is not just to forgive you of sins so that you could go to heaven. The reason he died was so that he could put his spirit in you. Every day, Jesus by his spirit has something he wants to say to you, has something he wants to convict you of, has something he wants to reveal to you, has something he wants to magnify in your eyes, has something he wants to lead you in, and are you listening to him? See, I just want to give you an encouragement, but it's also a confession. This doesn't happen overnight. It's gradual. It takes practice. But I, I just want to... I want to tell you, it is worth it. It's so worth it. Dads, I want to particularly call on you this morning. When you think about your endeavor as a dad, as raising children that know and love the Lord, not just the ones that are getting dedicated today, but all of us, do you want to raise children that know how to walk with the Lord? Do you want to raise them in such a way that have incredible impact in the world? Do you want that? Model this for your children then. Teach them how to crucify their flesh. Call them to walk in the Spirit over and over and over and over and over again. And if you don't know how to do this yourself, 
then get close to people here in this church that do. And the great news is, they're all around you. They're everywhere here. Just get close to them and learn to do what they do. The stakes are so high for us. I, I, I want to see our church experience generational impact. I want to see us raise up a group of kids that, that just are saturated with the Spirit. And moms and dads, he wants to use you to do it. I can't be the one to do it. I can just call us to it as a family. You need to be the ones to learn how to do this yourself so that you can transfer that knowledge to them and they can grow in their ability to walk by the Spirit. Do you want that, family? I, here's what I'm going to call you to do. If you want that, as I want that, I would ask you to stand with me because I'd love to pray for you. Will you stand with me? If that's what you want for yourself, if that's what you want for your kids. Father, here we are. We are standing before you, a group of people who are addicted to going our own way. We have the flesh that tells us constantly to do it ourselves, that you can't be trusted, that you aren't good. Help us to crucify that voice in us. We want to do away with it, Lord. We, we want to see it dead forever. Please come and do that work in us. At the same time, Father, we want to learn how to walk by the Spirit. We want to hear you moment by moment. Speak to us now. Jesus, we love you. We're your people. Come and lead us. By your Spirit, we pray. Amen.